Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Axel Wright, and Lord Commander Ulrich was still not able to join me today due to his new fatherly duties. So instead, I brought back my pal, Wretched Giraffe, to keep me company this time. How you doing today, Wretched? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself, man? I am doing pretty well. I had like a... I have a 40-minute long discussion about rules with one of my dungeon masters that I'm going to continue later. <laughs> Got a little heated, oh. but we're fine. So, oh, dear. Oh, yeah. man, rulings are so hard in that game. I don't want to be a rules lawyer, <laughs> so... Oh, no. Hey, man, if he's a DM, right? House rules. Just house rule it. Yeah. It's so, the player. Yeah, falling rocks. So today we're going to talk about some stuff that we like and we think deserves more attention this is mostly a fluff episode. I, I'm really not as good at coming up with topics as Ulrich. He usually writes the, you know, the topics, but this is what we got. So none of these things we're talking about are really obscure. Like none of these things are, you know, art house that only like hipsters know about. These are just things that me and wretched feel like should be more popular than they are. Like, and that's really all, all it is. So wretched, what's the, the first thing that you want to share? Uh, schoolgirls. Uh, fighters made by fighters that kind of like got swept under the rug because they didn't get enough uh like actual people from the fighting game community to like pick up on like it got pretty popular but nothing will beat street fighter right like <laughs> i yeah street fighter uh isn't two still played competitively oh yeah yeah uh two and three third strike which watch ten and chun lee beat everyone the game but you know, that, whatever. <laughs> I know that I, I grew up like my natural affinity was for fighting games and you're playing a lot of competitive fighting games right now. And Skullgirls, Wretched actually got me into Skullgirls earlier this year. Like I didn't know about it at all. But yeah, Skullgirls, like he said, is a, a fighting game that's developed by people who were into fighting games. So like, you know, your average player might know like Super Smash Brothers, which is a fighting game generally for casual players. No, Skullgirls is a fighting game made for fighting game fans. Right. And if you don't like fighting games, you probably won't enjoy it because a lot of things like buffers and that kind of stuff don't exist in Skullgirls. So like all your inputs have to be very, very precise or nothing comes out and you're sad. But, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say like, what would you say is... I mean, other than, like I said, it's a fighting game made for fighting game fans, what would you say are, like, the main draws, reasons why it should be more popular than it is? Uh, definitely, I think the story. I feel like they took a lot of time, like, for what it is, to actually build out a story, and the characters are incredibly interesting. I'm also, like, a big fan of the art design, because it's got that, like, heavy 20s kind of uh, art design. I, I do love the 20s feeling in general. It's got this like very jazzy soundtrack that's super fun. Oh, dude, the soundtrack is fantastic. But... So I think it's funny you bring up the story, though, because most fighting games, I would say, story is very much a weak point. Even though with famous stories like Mortal Kombat, the story comes down to it's a tournament to save the world, right? Street Fighter right. tends to be it's a tournament where every country has like a representative. A lot of tournament stories. So like, what's, what's good about Skullgirls' story? Uh, to me, I think the, the biggest part about Skullgirls and the reason the story is interesting is every character's story is like a giant tragedy rolled up into one. Like, the reason I enjoy it is because everything is incredibly dark. Like, for example, uh, Pain Wheel, right? In this oh, world, they have these things called parasites. And a parasite is exactly as you think a parasite, right? Like, it lives in you. But there's a little bit of a symbiote that it kind of builds with whoever has it. Well, the reason that Pain Wheel's really sad is they grabbed this girl out of, you know, I want to say middle school, and we're like, let's see how many parasites we can put in her. Just cuz. Like, for anyone who hasn't <laughs> seen any of the art from this, Pain Wheel literally looks, she looks kind of like if you took a middle school girl, wrapped her up like a mummy, and then ripped all the skin off of her face. Like, her face is literally all the muscle tissue underneath oh, it. Oh, uh, like, that's actually a mask. Oh, I didn't even know that. I just thought it was yeah. her face. Her face is uh, her face that that you see in the game. Uh, you don't get to see her true face until you finish her story. But that actually, that mask is a parasite as well. Oh, and, see, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and the, she is supposed to be the ultimate weapon to fight the Skull Girl, right? And the reason that the Skull Girl is a big deal is every every so often this thing shows up that's called the Skull Heart, 
And when a girl makes a wish on it, their wish does come true, but they become the Skull Girl and become an agent of destruction. So it's like a monkey's paw, basically. And uh, currently, there's one that was the the latest Skull Girl was killed by a mafia or a mafia family, made the wish to destroy the mafia family because they killed her family and her. So the mafia then hired this dude who we were talking about earlier, then took Pain Wheel to then make a weapon against the Skull Girl. And that weapon is is Pain Wheel. <laughs> oh, 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 Pain. Okay, sorry, I I lost track of the narrative yeah. for a second there. It's it's a little complicated. It gets, yeah. It, oh, it gets complicated, but it's it's super interesting because I felt like every time that I played through a story, I got it, it's kind of the same story, but it's from different perspectives, which is really interesting to me. I I got that feeling too. I so I've only beaten Skullgirls with a, a handful of characters, like five or six of the characters. So like for instance, I tried Pain Wheel. I'm absolutely terrible with Pain Wheel, so I didn't even bother. So I haven't seen her story. <laughs> She's <Yeah>. really hard. <laughs> I mean, like my favorite character, and you know this, is a character named Peacock. Who uh, we talk about tragedy. Peacock is like the one of the youngest. She was like twelve when the tragedy happened, or something like that. And mm-hmm. she basically had her her arms and legs ripped off. Her eyes plucked out and uh, a big giant hole put in her chest. And then the, the stump of a body that was left was taken and experimented on with like technology. And so now she's got like crazy machines in her body, except they're all like 20s cartoon toy themed. So like she wears, you know, this top hat, she acts like a Looney Tune and she throws like toy airplanes that blow up at people and she talks like a, a gangster because that's what she was raised by essentially <laughs> so yeah and uh if you guys know what uh zoners are she's a zoner which means that she uh is the devil <laughs> so to anyone who's not familiar with fighting game terminology a zoner is a character whose skills are to throw ranged attacks and keep the other their opponent away from them, essentially to keep them out of their zone or keep them in a separate zone. And they are the opposite of a rushdown character who's uh, defined by someone who runs in, gets real close, and stays there until their opponent is dead. Or a grappler who uh, they do grabs really yeah, and high damage grabs. Uh, Basically, examples of these in like Street Fighter's terms then are super easy. Uh, so Kami would be a rushdown. Ryu would be a zoner. And Zangief would be a grappler. And Retcha and I have just dueled in Skullgirls because we, we'll, we have a number of competitive games we play where me and him will just fight against each other and just talk because we don't get super competitive with each other. But we play Skullgirls plenty. Like I said, I play Peacock, who's a zoner. He plays a character named Beowulf, who's, the let's coolest. say, a grappler. Yeah, but he's <laughs> yes. a grappler, so that's why he says that zoners are the devil, because he can't get yes. in close. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very hard for grapplers to get in close. But the reason that Beowulf is the coolest is, uh, so they took Beowulf from the original, like, old stories, right? And then uh, in this world, instead of Grendel being, like this hideous monster it's actually just a person that was this certain race of people that existed in the world and beowulf beat him in a wrestling match and then uses his arm now to fight it's great it's a giant arm it's very big <laughs> doesn't he call out when he fights like giant arm or doesn't he, like, yeah he says it? giant arm yep it's kind oh, of it's ridiculous the, he's also he's also the, the only <laughs> one of the only two male characters in the game right and it's a yes. fighting roster him... of about 20 him and Big Band are the only two male characters. To me, Big Band is the devil. I hate Big Band. He takes <laughs> up a third of the entire screen. He's just this giant character that's like impossible to dodge. And his whole thing is he's a robot made of instruments. Yep. Uh, he was made by the same people that made uh, Peacock, but he volunteered. So, yeah. <laughs> Point is, oh, one more thing before we get off topic with, uh, with Skullgirls. Um... Wretched has told me this. I I have not been able to confirm. I looked up, and there's no confirm or denying. This is just like heavily implied. But uh, it's possible that the lead artist, or at least one of the high artists for Skullgirls, one of them, not all of them, but he does. Yeah, one of them. And the only reason we found this out was there is a interview for the chick that did the voice for Felicia, one of the main characters with zone (laughs) yeah so zone to anyone who's 
innocent on the internet somehow, is a rather well-known creator of uh, naughty Flash animations starring your childhood cartoons, you know, if you want to ruin your childhood. <laughs> and yeah, apparently Zone also did character model work or character design work for Skullgirls, which you can really tell if you look at the how the designs are. <laughs> so yeah, the art style. He's got a... I don't know. He did a great job with that game. The art style is fantastic. Like everything is super fluid. So just something a little bit older now. The I want also. I also want to talk about a game, uh, which is Legend of the Dragoon, which is one of my favorite games growing up. And you know, it was a PlayStation One game. And for anyone who hasn't heard of it, it's so start with Final Fantasy because it's a it's a Japanese role playing game, so it's JRPG. But it's set in a largely Western feeling world where if a dragon dies, its soul is in this like little orb. Uh, it's like a the size of a marble. And if a person resonates with it, they essentially can become a dragoon knight. So they get all this like cool armor and abilities based on the dragon. Now there's this huge, crazy lore story going on, which I'll talk about in a second. But that's the the bare bones description of what Legend of the Dragoon is. But like I said, it came out um, roughly around the time I think Final Fantasy eight or nine came out. Because it, it was pretty late in the PlayStation. Yeah, I, uh, I think it was. I think it was eight. I'm pretty sure. Not positive, but pretty sure. Because I know yeah. that it was like it was a pretty decent competitor. Like for the yeah, time, it's still a lot got of people. Beat. <laughs> yeah, it. Well, I mean, it's Final Fantasy. Like that's my point. Hard. That's that's yeah. why I'm bringing it up when it came out. Because like you can't really beat Final Fantasy. At least back then you couldn't. <laughs> yeah, because like well, I mean, yeah, seven came out and everyone like exploded, right? Yeah. But, yeah, then eight, and then Legend of Dragoon, or Legend of Dragoon came out after eight, I think. I'm not a hundred percent positive, so it becomes this one of like got swept under the rug. Yeah, it's like I know Pro Jared did a video somewhat recently, like top ten uh, JRPGs that are not Final Fantasy, and he put Legend of Dragoon at like number four or something like that, which I was happy just to see it get referenced because, like I said, this game isn't necessarily obscure. Like it's popular enough that back when um. PlayStation All-Stars, the supposedly answer to Smash Brothers that failed completely. Uh, when that was a thing, they were going to put the main character of Legend of Dragoon, Dart, they were going to put him in the game. They actually had a character model built for him, but that game didn't sell well enough. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, that game just had a lot of problems in, in the way that they like built the combat system out. Because a lot of it didn't make sense. <laughs> I totally agree with you, but I still was super disappointed that I didn't get to have some new game that had a dragoon in it, you know. So, hey Darkstalkers, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair, uh, fair enough. But at least Darkstalkers, like, is this character is in every Marvel versus Capcom game. So, you mean Morgan? There's more and than Jetta now. Isn't Felicia Darkstalkers too? Oh yeah, that's right, Felicia as well. So yeah, you got yeah. a few characters. Three, nothing. So. Two. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, Legend of Dragoon, like I read some of the, you know, because it came out at a time when the internet wasn't really a thing yet, so I wasn't aware of reviews or anything. I originally played it because I had one of those old, you remember those like PlayStation discs that had like one, or it had like a few hours of one game and then like a f 10 minutes of like 10 other games on it, you know, a demo oh, disc? Yeah, freaking demo discs, you used to get them from like the PlayStation magazine and stuff. Yeah. yeah I think I still have some of those like laying around somewhere. <laughs> Mine got stolen. Uh, oh, yeah, rip. I had one of those for a while that had a bunch of games I didn't care about and then three hours of Legend of the Dragoon on it. And I replayed those three hours over and over again until I finally, because I was like eight or seven or something like that, until finally I managed to find a copy like in a store. Uh, which is, it's one of those games like Final Fantasy VIII that had four discs. So like this is a, Oh, expansive yeah. game <laughs> and yeah even to this day like i've only met maybe four people in my life since i first played it who knew what i was talking about at all <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a game that i uh i saw played but never like played a bunch myself uh but i mean it's the same thing with uh, Mega Man legends like i found that in a game shop like over in seattle a couple years ago like the original copy of it Mm. I still haven't even played it. <laughs> yeah, so so like most JRPGs, the main draw of Legend of Dragoon is the story. Like, it's a narrative-driven game. A lot of, 
not necessarily cutscenes, but like a lot of you know dialogue and and the characters are not like quite as good as say Final Fantasy VII's characters are, but they still are really good and the world is really interesting and like each disc deals with a different continent. So on the first disc you're dealing with the civil war, and on the second disc you're dealing with the story about like a princess who got kidnapped and then was impersonated by like a pirate queen. So then you got to deal with the pirates as well as the princess. And there's a side story about this crazy ass ghost ship. <laughs> so, <laughs> and the, the third disc has got this country that's all like super zealotry being attacked by the essentially God dragon. And so now you've got this like catastrophe story you got to deal with where you got to go deal with this God dragon. And then at the end of the third disc, you find out that the stories from the three continents are all actually part of one greater story that the fourth disc deals with like the villain is finally revealed properly at the end of the third disc and then it's like all right now here's what my what we got to stop and so you spend the fourth disc like dealing with it and by that point since you built up to it it feels so epic i guess i don't i don't know i hate that word because it's so overused but goddamn it's appropriate here so oh yeah just just over flooded but uh yeah your character it sounds like uh walks into that and goes what did i stumble into this isn't where i parked my car <laughs> yeah and <laughs> they find a great way to tie all of the so final fantasy was very good at this but um i feel like sometimes they kind of miss the opportunity okay example final fantasy 7 tends to be one of the most popular right and uh or at least the most well-known six is objectively the best but i'm not gonna have that argument right now anyway so uh cloud and sephiroth have this interesting kind of backstory that's semi-connected and connected through zach and it all feels kind of like concrete but at the same time really blurry and i don't know i always felt like it was kind of weak myself i mean cloud is like yeah. the least I interesting mean- part of his own game Oh yeah, definitely. All the other characters are super interesting in Seven, but like the problem with Seven, or at least that they like fixed, right? So when they make Crisis Core and we actually figure out who Zack is and why this is important. But my point in bringing that up is that Legend of Dragoon has this great way of so Dart is a fun guy. He, he's a hero. He definitely feels like a JRPG hero, but he's also a you know a fun guy. Like I would liken him more to Zidane from Final Fantasy Nine than you know, any other protagonist, uh, which I know there's a lot of people out there who are super Final Fantasy IX diehards. So uh, yeah, through that. Anyway, but right. they find a way to take the overarching plot and tie it very directly and very personally to him in like three different ways. And it's super impressive when like you look at it. I um I went back and looked at some of the reviews from when the game first came out. And so... The game has something called an addition system. So, you know, in in most JRPGs, when you hit attack, they just go and attack, right? Right. (laughs) In Legend of Dragoon, that's not how it works. Instead, your characters have a list of uh, additions or combos, whatever you want to call them. And so when you hit attack, you go up and a square pops up on the screen, and then a larger square starts spinning around and getting smaller. And once the larger square touches the little square, you press X. And if you do it right, then he moves on to the next attack. And if you do enough of those in sequence, you'll finish the addition, and uh, which I think is really cool. And I made I, oh, yeah. I uh, I actually really enjoy RPGs that do that because I personally am not a big fan of uh, like yeah, I like D and D, but sometimes turn based stuff. Like if I'm going to be spending like 200 hours playing this game, it's so boring. Just okay, I attack, and then he wipes my whole team with demi, and then I cry. <laughs> like oh man, that's. That's one thing that uh, I didn't enjoy about uh, Final Fantasy VII. Then I like that this game has something that, you know, I'm actually doing something when I'm fighting as opposed to like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and put the controller down as I do my 99 Summon Master material of Knights of the Round. Go make a sandwich, hop in the shower, watch a movie. <laughs> Sephiroth dead? Nope, still going. Okay, like. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's exactly it. That's how, at least to me, a fan of the game, that's how it feels. Every time I attack the Dragoon, I have to be invested and active in order to to make the attack work, because otherwise it's way less effective. And then, of course, they do the very anime thing where they finish the attack and they call out the attack. Like, the main character, Dart, his whole theme is fire. He's the fire dragon, right? So his attack, his additions are all named after fire-related things, right? So the most famous one, he does his attacks and just calls out, Volcano! or burning rush or blazing dynamo and it's it's goofy but it's amazing and i love it so blazing diamond dynamo sounds like a superhero yeah but anyway (laughs) a lot of the reviews i read 
now in retrospect, people complained about the addition system. They said it was too uh, too demanding that like you had to be too precise. And I was like, that's what I like about it. <laughs> oh no, you had to play the game. Oh no, anything right? like that? You have to try a little. I don't know, man. That, that that leads into a long discussion of like video games now versus video games then, right? I suppose. But like, I admit there were some additions that took me forever to figure out how to get. There's a character who's easily my favorite character. Her name is Miru. Think of her as a silver-haired elf girl, but with a bubbly personality, um, and magic wings. Anyway, but she uh, wields a hammer because, of course, the cute girl wields a giant hammer. Um, right. But because she she wields this giant hammer, when she fights, you can feel the weight of her hammer. It swings her around, so the timing on her additions is really difficult. In fact, she has this one called Perky Step that I remember took me hours to get it down, like, the first time. And then more to, like, get it so I could do it every time. But by the time I was there, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Love this feeling. So, yeah. So, yeah. Something like that makes me wonder, like, Watching like a hundred percent complete freaking uh, speed run of that game would probably be pretty interesting then, especially if something's that precise and hard. Like it's funny because going back and replaying, I have it on a PlayStation Portable now. By the way, over the course of my life, I bought three different physical copies of it. Lost one, gave one away, had one stolen. But now I have it downloaded onto my PSP for whenever I want to play it. And uh, they don't feel nearly as difficult to me now. Maybe it's because I have muscle memory, or maybe there's going to be people out there like, it was never that difficult to begin with. Well, apparently it was difficult for some people because it was a main criticism of the game. So, I mean, to be fair, though, PlayStation 1, what, we were like 10? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like uh, I went back and played Majora's Mask the other day and was like, man, I remember this part being rough. Nope, not at all. <laughs> yeah, so the also, like any proper jrpg right you have got um an ensemble cast of main characters like seven of them eight technically and it definitely has that at least people i talk to has that feeling of like which one's your favorite like i said my favorite is miru the cute ice dragon girl who wields the giant hammer but there's also Hashell, the badass old martial arts guy with the Fu Manchu who wields lightning, or Kongle, the fucking giant who's basically a Goliath from D&D, wields a giant axe and has earth dragon powers. So, you know, it functions really well on, on that uh, standpoint. Nice. Yeah, uh, like, I, I do really like the concept of them tying up uh, everything in just one of their games, Square. <laughs> Yeah, uh, right. Let's put it all on one console in one disc. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will tell you right uh, now, personally, if they released not even like a full remaster, but just like a decent remaster that brought it up to like even PlayStation Two level of graphics, I would I would fucking pre-order that shit. I boycott pre-orders on principle, but I would pre-order that just because. <laughs> well, I mean, everyone's got that uh that one right. Like normally yeah. I wouldn't do this, but uh. I have to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also, the game doesn't... The uh, last thing I want to say about it is, you know, like any proper JRPG, it doesn't shy away from, um, you know, really tugging at your heartstrings. The uh, roughly two-thirds into the first disc, it takes a, a a very important character and kills them. And it was, I think... I know for a lot of people, Aerith was the first time an important video game character died in a game to them. This was for me. And I remember being like, No! No! Ah! and just losing my mind as a child so yeah i uh Aerith, the only part about that that made me go rip was uh she was one of my highest level characters and had a lot of my healing stuff and i went cool i've been told that that's a pretty <laughs> common occurrence with how that went down so wasn't so mad that she's dead that way more mad than there goes half my stuff <laughs> <laughs> well anyway we got our uh We'll talk about JRPGs in general, which I'm not as much a fan of anymore, but I guess I'm just waiting for a really good one. Uh, I mean, I'm more of a Divinity fan now, but... Oh, well, I mean, you've been really into D&D lately, so why wouldn't you be into Divinity, right? That is also true. <laughs> anyway, what is the next IP you want to discuss? I mean, we were just talking about things that, uh, that we would throw money at, and uh, freaking Monster Hunter, man. I am yeah. so glad... Then it is no longer in handheld purgatory. 
It's oh funny, my god! <laughs> I know with Monster Hunter that it's becoming a lot less obscure now with like the most recent, but I know oh, that it definitely. was very obscure for a long time. Oh, for the longest time, and like over here, we could only get the G rank versions. So basically, in Monster Hunter, right when you start out, the old school it was here's your weapon, go fight the thing, right? <laughs> and you did that all the way through low rank till you you'd kill every monster, and then you get into high rank where you're killing different colors, which are the variants, right? As well as, like, sometimes different monsters, depending on which which iteration you're playing, right? Yeah, obviously. And then, after that, they were like, well, let's make some new monsters and then make another color variant, and they called that G-Rank, right? And that's mm-hmm. what the states got a lot. So, like, we got Monster Hunter Frontier, which was just Monster Hunter the G-Rank, but the only thing is, is over in Japan, they could get this on the PlayStation 2, where they can use a full controller. We got it on the PSP, where we had to develop the Monster Hunter Claw, <laughs> right? Because I don't know how many people have a PSP, but if you've ever played one, right, the joystick and the D-pad are right together. So you had to develop this claw technique because your your camera is the D-pad and your movement is the joystick. It was the worst. <laughs> Can I, I, I just want to tangent for a second and say, like, I've always been a fan of uh, handheld consoles. And I have a PSP, and I'm really glad I do, because if anything, I've got Legend of Dragoon on it. But that is not a well-designed handheld. Like, I, I was holding it, and I was holding my DS, and I was my first thought is, why the hell is the PSP charge cord port, like, right where my palm wants to lay? Oh, this, man. the The PSP was a great handheld system though i will agree with you it uh it had a lot of like why though (laughs) also it's Uh, like hey you want to cook an egg on this thing you can oh yeah definitely especially if you uh if you ever wanted to start homebrewing with it and stuff so you could actually play music and stuff which i think is that's the best part about the psp right was the fact that we could like yeah i want to put tons of music on it or movies or whatever and you could but uh, anyway, <laughs> I mostly I mostly just played Dragoon, uh, one God of War game, and Dissidia. It's like all I really got for PlayStation Portable. Dude, but uh, Monster Hunter for me, Monster Hunter everywhere, all the time. Loved that game and had to suffer through one and two on the PSP <laughs> with the claw, and now I could like never hold a PSP <laughs> like with both my pointer fingers on the triggers. It's like always my left pointer figure goes into this claw motion so I can <laughs> the D-pad while I'm running around. I am, uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, Monster Hunter is a pretty literal title. You, it's a game, it's got a very Dark Souls style combat, which I know will trigger some people because Monster Hunter actually came out first, but it's a very similar style of combat. But the, the point of Monster Hunter is that you are going around hunting monsters, usually for their material, so that you can make stuff and hunt bigger monsters. So, this game hits a lot of things that a lot of people might not like, that they definitely fix in world, and I'll get to that in a minute. But, it's very grindy. There are a lot of times when you want to upgrade your weapon, and you are missing a scale, and I know you just killed that dragon, but you gotta find that perfect scale, if you know what I mean. Like, it's gotta be the best scale. It's covered in scales. Just give me one. See, but, as uh, as someone who oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no. You, I was you, gonna say, you, as someone who loves Dark Souls, I I want to like Monster Hunter. I'm trying to like Monster Hunter. Wretched actually came over uh, to visit me uh, uh, like a month ago when he brought his uh, copy of Monster Hunter World for the PlayStation Four, and I played it for a bit. And I I love the combat. is super fluid. The various weapons you get all have completely different gameplay styles, but I can't help but really empathize with the animals. It's not like in Dark Souls where I'm just killing undead monstrosities, Cthulhu abominations and stuff. In Monster Hunter, you really are generally hunting creatures. Admittedly, a lot of them are big and kind of horrific, you know, a lot of dinosaurs, but I don't know. It just it's hard for me to get over it. I'm going to keep trying. Once it comes out on PC, I will play it with you and I will try to get over it, but it's hard. I could, here, here's one easy way of destroying Dark Souls for you. What if I told you that every time that you're killing a boss, you're actually destroying a soul to absorb it? Yeah, you're taking their consciousness. I have a, I have a, you animal. Lot, I have a lot easier time empathizing with animals in games and movies than I do with people or what seems to be sentient or like more humanoid sentient beings. So, like, you know, kill a person in a movie, I don't really care. But you kill a dog in a movie, and I'm I, riot. 
I will say in this newest one, it's kind of tough to like argue with you on that one because a I still like a man they aren't real, but b in the stories of the other ones, it was a lot more uh, I want to say dire because in this in the newest one in world we're going to an island to figure out why the elder dragons are going to this island. In all the other ones, it was hey man, this is nature, all right. There's a T-Rex attacking our village. We're going to have to kill the T-Rex, all right? It, or he's going to kill us all. Like, yeah. Whereas the first mission in Monster Hunter World is literally, hey, there's this herbivore dinosaur that's like a stegosaurus. There's too many of them, so go kill some. And you know what? From an objective point of view, I understand that that's a thing that actually happens, overpopulation. That doesn't mean I want to be the guy to go kill them. You would prefer to be the person, the, the handler? studies the whole time sure i'll be a tamer and i've been told later on in monster hunter world you get the option instead of killing things to a lot of times you know uh, trank them and oh yeah capturing uh capturing is much better but uh i mean well it depends so capturing can be better because you have a higher rate of getting rarer parts so that's why people capture Mm -hmm. but uh anyway yeah moving on into the the big bits of it getting out of handheld purgatory because it still stayed that way all the way through Monster Hunter 3, which is where I want to say some people were starting to get in because it came out for the Wii U, but like I know maybe like two people then bought a Wii U, and is they that still Monster regret Hunter that decision. Trinity or Try, yeah, Try. number yeah, three. I, I play. That was the first one I played. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> I loved the monster design. I loved like that we started getting more into bigger territories, right? Because uh, this is one thing that you got to experience in World that uh, I keep forgetting because I went back and wanted to play the uh, the older ones the other day. And I totally forgot then like it was zone based, right? Because in World, they made it they made it so much better in the aspect of the entirety of the area is loaded in, right? So we have this entire place to explore without loading screens every time that you move between another area, mm. which is super convenient. <laughs> but uh, 3 not only yeah. had that, but they also had... This underwater combat that was, if you're playing on the on the DS, I'm not sure how it was on the Wii U, cause, or I guess the Wii U and the Wii, but like I didn't really play it on either of those. I played it on my DS. Man, that was annoying. Hey, man, the number of games with <laughs> underwater combat or underwater scenes that are fun is like, that's, yeah, a, that's no. a pretty small amount. Like, water levels no. tend to be cancer. So. Dude. Yeah, it was the worst. And then in 4, they're like, yeah, we'll take that out. We're going to make it so that you can jump on top of the monster and play rodeo. Like, great addition. 4 has been, I don't know, it was super refreshing. And, like, I really like World, but as, like, a a long to- like a long-time Monster and a fanboy, I definitely feel like, and, again, this is, is like, well, Dark Souls is easy. I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit easier than uh, the other monster hunters were but i feel like it might just be easier because now i get to actually play with a controller right yeah <laughs> I, I mean yeah the how you play the periphery is, is super important that's why like we have a friend uh named uh, nick knock who we're trying to get to play dark souls and she refuses to play it with the controller and oh, we keep telling God. her like no no we want you to have a good time she's like i have to play with a mouse and keyboard like, no, no, you don't. Anyway, uh, another thing, and again, I'm not a huge Monster Hunter fan, but I get the impression that Monster Hunter has that same, um, I'm going to call it the Pokemon quality, where a lot of the fun is just in the different kind of monsters. Like, Oh, definitely. Like, my favorite I've seen is basically a chameleon dragon. Like, it's a dragon, but it's got a chameleon head and tongue, and it's adorable, and I love it. Oh, and the new one, the Puke Puke? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Puke Puke is hilarious. Uh, there's another one that's called the the Guron or something like that, and it's a toad that eats rocks and it just spits molten rocks at you. And uh, I haven't you, like there is quests to kill it, but I never take those ones because every time I see him, he just kind of waddles around and it just makes me laugh. I know that um, <laughs> one of the ones you've told me about multiple times, and I had mentioned it to uh, Marquis, another guy who was on here before who was a Monster Hunter fan too, I mentioned the nickname and he knew exactly what I was talking about, so I'm guessing this is widespread, but there's a monster that's referred to as the Angry Pickle. Oh yes, the Pickle Joe. Oh man, uh, he just he just kind of came out for World and uh, yeah, he's 
he is the definition of something that should be destroyed because it's an apex predator that does nothing but eat and destroy everything in the environment. That's all this thing does. It exists to destroy everything. So like one, don't feel bad for that thing. It deserves to go. All right. <laughs> it shouldn't it shouldn't exist, basically. Like that's like we the the Jurassic Park thing, right? Like the new one, Jurassic World, when they made this yeah. apex predator and then they're like, oh yeah, nothing will go wrong here. Like that's the pickle joke. <laughs> yeah oh and also if none of this sells anyone who hasn't played this game on it in as far as i know every monster hunter but especially monster hunter world you get a companion who's a little cat person that you a can palico. dress up yes the palico and he fights with you and helps you out he or she but uh yeah no definitely yeah it's uh, an adorable little cat person and it's amazing yeah i wouldn't say that they're necessarily hard games it's the same thing with dark souls like everyone's like it's so hard it, it's not it's uh, it can be frustrating at times because there are times where you just well, there's nothing I could do there. But uh, I don't know. It's worth it's worth the effort, I feel. And it's uh, it's got a lot of really good. Uh, how do I say? Like, can't even think of it. The word just escaped my mind. But uh, like it makes you feel like you're in the world. Everything is super immersive. There we go. Thank you. Jesus. It's like what's happening to me. But it's very immersive because everything in the world just feels like it's alive, you know? Like, it's fantastic. I really enjoy it. Right. Uh, if you want to look back into the old ones on the PSP and stuff, like, you're welcome to. But I'm just going to tell you now, like, A, you got to like to grind a, a hell of a lot more. B, you got to enjoy the fact that, man, these controls are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> just just play Monster Hunter World. Just do that. <laughs> anyway, um, so we spent, we talked about games. Uh, the last one I want to talk about is actually a movie. Actually, my favorite movie. Like, I mentioned before that Watchmen is my second favorite movie. It actually was my favorite movie for a long time, but it's because, depending on when you ask, it will alternate with this one, which is SLC Punk or Salt Lake City Punk, which is this, like, uh, I don't know if indie is the right word, but it wasn't, you know, a big release, but did you ever see it? It was a tiny studio. Yeah, I did see it, but I haven't seen that movie for, like, ten years (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I own it. I watch it every now and then. I show it to new people. But the, So the movie stars uh, Matthew Lillard, who most people will recognize as Shaggy from the live-action Scooby-Doo movies and also now the voice of Shaggy and everything. But he plays a young, and I mean like college-age punk. And when I say punk, I mean legit, like 80s punk, like blue mohawk punk, um, along with his friend Heroin Bob. They explain that he's named Heroin Bob not because he does heroin, but because he's actually terrified of needles. But anyway, these two punks live in Salt Lake City in the mid-80s, uh, maybe yep. late 80s. I think it was and, mid-80s. Yeah, yeah. The movie itself is really just a coming-of-age tale. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of coming-of-age tales, and all of them, you know, you can get kind of – it can be kind of cliche. But this one I feel like hit me particularly hard because, right, the whole idea is the first half of the movie is like a mockumentary, and you have – um, Steve-O, or not Steve-O, just Steve, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, Steve-O's jackass. Anyway, but Steve is is Matthew Lillard's character, and he has this inner monologue where he spends the first half of the movie just explaining what it's like being a punk in Salt Lake City. And then the second half of the movie, he starts really questioning his entire philosophy, right? Like, at the time I saw it, I was a, a goth in school. Well, I was an omni-goth, I wore all white instead of all black. But still, I was like defining myself on this counterculture thing. And this movie basically taught me that what I was doing was bullshit. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> I could see it. Yeah. And so like, not only is it a good movie, it's a good movie that completely changed how I viewed myself and the world I lived in at the time. And when a movie can do that to you, that, that leaves an impact. Oh yeah. Right? I, I definitely think that defines like a good film. If it actually made you feel something or gave you a better idea like i feel like that movie did what it's out to do you know right yeah exactly right and so even though i wasn't a punk i was a goth the concept the idea of a movie about youth that is trying constantly to define itself and the idea of defining yourself by nonconformity is in itself a form of conformity like these kind of ideas were really powerful to a teenage me and i still appreciate them as an adult. My point is, it's a simple movie in that it's just going of age jail, but it's just done so well with so much style. It's really funny. It's really sad. It's really 
stylistics. They actually use like a lot of punk music and old styles, uh, old like band, uh, cover album art and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got. Uh, it did have a. Also, for the time, I felt had really good uh, directing quality. Like the shots in it were really, really good. Yeah, definitely. It it, it makes Salt Lake City come off both like because uh, the whole point, right, is what does Salt Lake City mean to these punks? Uh, is it a symbol of everything they hate? Is it uh, a home that they love in spite of their philosophical differences to it? Uh, you know, things like that. So the the movie, depending on what it's scene is, will convey it both as like a prison and as freedom, like how it shoots Salt Lake City. Yeah. Especially when it shoots the Great Salt Flats, which is super freaky scene. <laughs> There's yeah, also like, definitely an, uh, an acid trip scene that I think is up there in like top movie drug freakout scenes. I definitely, uh, I do remember a little bit of it. Like I, I need to go back and definitely rewatch it because i haven't seen that movie like i said in like 10 years but i do remember that i really enjoyed it and like it was uh it was kind of it reminded me a lot of why i liked uh boondock saints right like it just had a lot of really strange things at the time and i'm i'm a big fan of those kinds of movies anyway because like i like a lot of the the tarantino films i love boondock saints too i got a poster of those guys in my room so right like it's just uh in my opinion, it's a it's a classic that just kind of went way under the radar, but it doesn't deserve to be so so far under the rug, right? Yeah, I mean that's why I want to talk about SLC Punk to begin with because it's my favorite movie and it's not very well known. Uh, unfortunately, a sequel was made last year, so like you know, like thirteen years after the first movie came out or something like that, and it's terrible. So don't Gross. don't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I definitely highly recommend SLC Punk avoid the sequel it like the plague just stay away from it so it's not okay man it's not okay yeah you'll also see uh anyone out there who hasn't seen it, you'll see a lot of like familiar faces of you know of actors which is you know it's kind of a given in the hollywood thing but you know some that i then saw do things later like one of my favorites one of the best characters in the movie is a guy named mike and mike's whole thing is that he is actually the most hardcore punk in the whole group but you would not know it by looking at him because he dresses like a nerd. Like he dresses in, you know, tucked in white shirt. He's got the like slicked hair and glasses and he's super nice. But like they show a scene of uh, Steve talking about how much of a punk he is. And he's like, here, watch this. And he just, a guy walks by Mike, Steve pushes him a little bit so that he kind of bumps Mike. So Mike's eyes go wide. He just grabs the guy by the head and smashes his head into the wall. And then just like goes back to standing there looking normal. So, <laughs> but Mike, anyway, he's played by um. Oh, I can't remember his name, but it's the guy who played Marshall in How I Met Your Mother. Right. Uh, I anyway, you know I, about. yeah, I can't remember his name. But he was also in like the Muppets movie and I Love You Man, which is a great movie. But anyway, that oh, guy, yeah, he's the the tall guy. Um, man, what is his name? Yeah, it escapes me right now. But point is, this is when I first saw him. So then when I saw, I mean, he was the second reason I watched uh, How I Met Your Mother to begin with. And the first reason, by the way, was not Neil Patrick Harris. The first reason was I had a giant crush on Allison Hannigan growing up, and I still do. So, but anyway, besides the point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Uh, NPH is just added, just an added bit. Exactly. But but point is like I huge you know, huge fan of this movie and I saw Mike, the best character in a sitcom. I was like, I'll watch it for that. So uh but yeah, there's a few other like so there's an actor whose name I don't know who is so good at playing a jerk, right? Um he played Shooter McGavin in Happy Gilmore. Remember him? Yeah. I yeah. He he plays Steve's dad, and he's like a corporate lawyer, and he's like, and he's not actually uh, a bad guy. McNolan is his name. Oh, Christopher McNolan. Yeah, or McDonald. McDonald. There we go. McDonald. Christopher McDonald. Yeah, Christopher McDonald. Yeah. Anyway, he he does a really good job in this movie of coming off as like, because uh, he's not actually a slimeball in this movie. I mean, he is. He's a lawyer, but he also you get the feeling he really does care about his kid. They just don't see eye to eye because you know he's a corporate lawyer and his son is a legit hardcore punk but they still have like a friendship there's this great scene where they just go out to lunch together and you you really get the feeling that while steve is fighting against everything his father is he still likes his father as a person on some level and it's one of those things where it's like 
hey, these guys, these are literally as opposite on a political spectrum as you can get with this father and son, and they can still have lunch together, you know? Right. Like well, Something I mean, as simple as that is really powerful to me. Yeah, I mean, still family, right? Yeah, exactly. So that that's, you'll see some actors like that, and some that I haven't seen anything else, but kind of wish I would because they're crazy. Like, there's this one guy who's their drug dealer who um, is from some other country behind the Iron Curtain, I guess. And I don't know where his accent's supposed to be, but he's super rich because uh, an insurance settlement when his parents died in a plane crash. And he's also out of his mind entirely. <laughs> like, there's this great <laughs> scene where he's like, let's go steal a car. He doesn't need to. He's got like six cars. He just wants to do it for fun. And then he's like, all right, let's ditch the car. And they drive into the Great Salt Lake. But because the Great Salt Lake's full of salt, the car won't sink. It's exactly. just floating on top. <laughs> and he uh, starts going crazy. And he's like, sink, you fool. And he pulls out a magnum and starts shooting the car. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, the struggle is Fine. real. <laughs> anyway, so yes, if uh, I don't know if this movie is on Netflix. I know that the sequel is. And like I said, do not watch that. It's called SLC Punk 2, Punk's Not Dead. I had misguided hopes and they were dashed by it so avoid that but if you can get your hands on the original slc punk like i said it's really worth watching especially worth watching for any teenagers who consider themselves part of any counterculture movement like you consider yourself a hipster a goth a punk a metalhead whatever i i like i said i was a metalhead at one point and a goth at another point in this movie completely upended my um view of the world and it, in a good way it's really worth watching so yeah. i highly recommend it Anyway, so that uh that brings us to our suggestions of the week. And I admit I I kind of cheated a little bit because my suggestion of the week is another thing that I love that isn't as popular as it should be, which is the anime Yu Yu Hakusho, which is my favorite anime. Well, tied my favorite with Fooly Cooly, but yeah, man. that just I think they just aired their first episode of season 2 here. What a Fooly Cooly? Yeah. Wow, I need to catch it. Or I need to check that out. But anyway, not talking yeah, about Fully Cooly right now. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> show. show. Yeah, the Yuhaku show is um, rage. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Uh, I the reason I want to talk about Yuhaku show is because I just started rewatching it for the I don't know tenth time. Like I own the whole series on DVD, and you know once a year or every other year I'll just sit down and watch it all the way through. And uh, my buddy Marquis and I are just watching it all the way through again. We're only like on episode. 13 or something like that but like i said i've seen it all the way through like nine times it is in my opinion an almost perfect shonen right like it's got that same um you know dragon ball z one piece naruto quality that it's a shonen it's also long but it's not like unreasonably long it's 112 episodes i think not one so, piece yeah <laughs> one piece and it's 800 episodes no 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 but oh, yeah. Anyway, Yu Hakusho, to anyone who might not know, is about a kid who, a 14-year-old punk in Japan who saves a kid from a car accident but dies in the process. But because he saved a kid, he gets brought back to life and then gets turned into the spirit detective, which means his job is to go around finding demons and stuff and uh, stopping them from doing bad things. And then it turns more into a fight show as the series goes on. But, you know, good characters, good shonen. And uh, it's hilarious to me because it's definitely not as influential as Dragon Ball Z, but definitely influential. Like, I remember when uh, when Bleach came out, I was like, so it's Yu Hakusho, but everyone's got a sword, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, well, the thing is, is a lot of uh, a lot of modern shonen, right, like, took from that. Because they took from that and Dragon Ball Z, like, a lot. <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was funny how specific... Bleach took from Yu Hakusho because I have a friend of mine. Uh, well, Stevie, who was on last week. Stevie had not watched Yu Hakusho, but he had watched Bleach. And I was watching Yu Hakusho in the living room. And there was this arc, essentially, where the, the main characters are going through this house. And they're dealing with these psychics who are, like, messing with them. And then Stevie sits down. He watches for about six minutes and then goes, wait, let me guess. The, their master is actually the one behind it. And they set all this up. And I was like, you watched it for like six minutes. How do you know? And he went, because the exact same thing happened in Bleach. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, that's why I, that's one of the reasons why I never got heavily into Bleach, because I was like, this is almost the same thing. <laughs> I mean, the thing about Bleach to me was just the power scale got really weird. Like, so that, 
Yeah, so I'll definitely say, if anyone out there was a fan of Bleach and got really disappointed at where it went and somehow you haven't watched Yu Yu show, do that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good show. I myself haven't even finished it, so. The last 12 episodes are kind of rushed because they wanted to wrap up the series, but it's still a satisfying conclusion. Anyway, do you have a suggestion for the week, Wretched? Uh, I'm not really. Uh, go out and do something that you really enjoy. Make yourself happy. <laughs> it's good general advice. Maybe yeah. get outdoors. <laughs> Everyone should do that at least once a week. Well, best suggestion for the week is see all the things we talk about in this episode. Because the whole point of this episode is that we feel like none of these things get as much attention as they should. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, no. Go out. Play some Skullgirls if you like fighters. Do uh, do some monster hunting. Then send whoever made the Kushladora in freaking Monster Hunter World an angry letter about how that fight is incredibly boring. Is the Kushladori a dragon of some kind? Yeah, he's one of the older dragons. He makes a bunch of tornadoes, and all he does is sit there. So you have this staring contest with him, because he's got a tornado in front of him. You can't run through it, so you're just like, all right, I guess I'll wait. Oh, certainly a great way to uh, to attract new players. Anyway, <laughs> thank you hey, for listening. Be the sure only to bad fight. interrupt my outro, brah. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a comment down below if there's something you'd like to hear in a future podcast. You'll, you know, try to get to it. Like I said, Ulrich's much better at coming up with the ideas. But uh, we're on Twitter and Patreon, and we'll put links in the thing below. As always, this has been Axel Wright. Thank you, Wretched, again for filling in for Lord Commander Ulrich. Okay, man, anytime. I will keep. I will hold you to that. Oh, I do like to say before we leave that the last time we had Wretched on was for the. Um, Warhammer 40k thing, and when I refer to Wretched as an expert, I was trying to mean it as for purposes of our discussion and compared to me. So I apologize yeah, well, if well, that came off incorrect. Yeah, again, as stated, I went back and watched that. I did say that I am not an expert. I am just a guy who has read codexes, really old codexes, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be sure to be more careful with my wording next time, because we do plan to have you on for whenever our next... Uh, warhammer episode is so yeah it'll be fun anyway be sure to tune in next time and as always stay honorable